So if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Um, what we're going to be looking at today is, frankly, what I think, one of the most amazing texts in all the Bible. There is a picture of Jesus here that you can't make up. You could not imagine this. If we were going to sit in this room and come up with a religion on our own, we would never come up with this type of a savior. That's what makes it good news. That this view of Jesus here is, it is what make, makes good news good news. And, and wherever you are and whatever you're going through right now, you are going to see a Jesus who you can bring everything to. Luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we ask that you, would, that you would please send the Spirit and help because we are seeking, we're seeking to see Jesus. But we know as our Lord himself says that oftentimes when the word is proclaimed, the evil one lies close at hand to take away those seeds and the world seeks to choke out the seed so that we would no longer care for your word and, 
And oftentimes we might leave here and we might experience suffering and might walk away from your word, but we're asking for the good seed and the good soil. We're asking that we would bear fruit. So Father, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to hear. And Lord Jesus, as we see you in all of your your glory and your beauty and your majesty, May we walk away from here and may we say that there is no one like Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I remember after my freshman year of college down at Tulane, and uh, if you know anything about the deep south, that those deep southern dynamics where it's all about making sure you keep up a, a good image, a good reputation. You're not, you try not to be too bad because you grew up in the church, so you want to make sure you, you're put together. Well, uh, Montgomery, Alabama is a lot different from New Orleans. Uh, they don't care. Um, it's the exact opposite. And so my freshman year, even though I grew up in the church, even though I grew up in the PCA church and seemed like I had a good image, I was not a believer. And so when I went down to New Orleans, well, I lived the New Orleans way of life. And it was out in the town, living in the hookup culture, experiencing with alcohol and drugs and everything else. And I remember after my freshman year, I had such a burden on my conscience where I knew I needed to talk to someone. So I decided to reach out to an area youth pastor. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, I did not reach out to my own youth pastor. He would have been great for this. But I reached out to someone else. And so I went to go talk with him and we were in the parking lot. And you know those moments whenever you have something on burden, burning your conscience, but you know, you're really just trying to do a lot of small talk until you have to get to the point where you finally tell them, right? So there, here comes the moment. And so I tell them something that I've been really struggling with and that no one else knew, but I knew I just had to tell them. Here's how he responded. He said, you did what? And then he proceeded to leave. Maybe something like that has happened to you. Maybe, maybe someone like me, maybe a pastor has done that to you. But for all of our shortcomings, for all of our sin, Jesus is not like that. We so often fail. And even though, especially we who proclaim the gospel and, and minister the gospel, we still so often fail, but Jesus never fails And here is the picture that we see of him. I remember another moment in my life when I was really struggling with shame. And I remember there's a song that I heard. Maybe you've sung it before, heard it before. It's from Matt uh, Papa and Matt Boswell. And the song is called His Mercy is More. And the constant refrain of the song, which I do think they are getting from this, it says, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That is the main point of this text. So let's look at it. If you've got a Bible open, keep it open because who cares what I say? It's just a matter of if this says it. So look at verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come eat with them, and Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now that's actually already an amazing statement because Jesus never says no to an invitation, even from a Pharisee. Well, let me give you a little bit of a context of what is a Pharisee. 
Uh, you probably know a little bit about a Pharisee, but if you don't, it's totally fine. Basically, here's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, a, a Jewish sect, a Jewish party that was formed to make sure that the people of Israel, as the Roman Empire was in control, they were going to form this party to make sure that the Jewish people would not be worldly. How are they going to do it? Here's how they're going to do it. We're going to add on hundreds and hundreds of laws to make sure that all of our little boys and girls are going to be good little boys and girls, just like in Montgomery, Alabama, right? It's all about making sure that we can enact all these rules, and then if you obey those rules, we'll be fine. They're very strict, overly strict. And because of their strictness, they lost sight of God. Now, what's interesting here is that we need to remember that because this woman, as I'll talk about soon, she is everything that they stood against. She is, she is everything that went against their efforts. And look at verse 37. Here we meet her. It says, and behold. Now, that word for behold is it's awesome. You might look at it and you might be like, that's weird. It's just behold. But actually, here's what that word means. When it says behold, it literally means stop everything that you are doing and pay attention to what's about to happen because it's about to go down. Okay? Something strange is about to happen and you need to be asking that question. Whenever you read it in the Bible, what am I supposed to behold? Here it is. A woman of the city. Most likely, this woman was a prostitute. According to every scholar, they, they are almost positive that this woman is a prostitute. She's, remember, she's everything that the Pharisees were against. What's interesting is that it says, doubly, a woman of the city, but not just that, who was a sinner. Now, let me just ask you a question. Why do you need to add that second part? I mean, look, we all know she's a sinner. Luke, why would you also add that? There's a point here. It's giving emphasis. She is not merely a sinner. She is the sinner of the town. And we can see that when Simon says below that when he's questioning who Jesus is, and he says, look, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. She's probably the person in Tulsa or maybe even this room when you think about who is a sinner, you would say, her him. That's this woman. She is the epitome of what a sinner is. But it's not just that she's a sinner. In Jewish law, she would also be considered unclean. Whenever someone who is unclean would, would touch someone who is clean, they would contaminate the person who is clean. But also this, in that context, this is just, just what happened in their context. Whenever they would have dinner, the men would eat in one room and the women would eat in another room. And that you wouldn't cross over. This, so this woman's about to break a lot of rules here. Okay? Now look, look at it. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet... Remember Jesus, whenever he would eat, he wouldn't pull up a chair and sit under a table, knees underneath. He would be reclining. 
He'd be leaning in. He'd be laying down with his elbow on the table and another, another arm to eat. And so his legs would be going out from the table, and that's where she'd be standing. That's important as you watch this posture. She begins to weep. You know, sometimes whenever we feel bad about sin, what do we do? We try to squeeze really hard like we're, like we're actors or actresses and we're trying to fake cry. Let me muster up a tear or two to make it look real. This word for weeping is different. It's actually the same word that is used to describe rain showers. Uh, during this time of the year, down in New Orleans, whenever, uh, it'll, it'll just randomly rain, little pop-up showers here and there in New Orleans, but sometimes what happens in these pop-up showers is that it rains so quick and it rains so much, and with New Orleans being below sea level, that it will flood the streets. And I want you to see here that something is so burdening the conscience of this woman that as she is before Jesus, she doesn't have a tear or two. She is constantly, continually weeping, so much so that she could rain them upon Jesus' feet. This is a woman who knows her own sin She leans in at Jesus' feet. That's actually really interesting. Uh, Jesus would not wear shoes like this. They didn't have Nikes back then. I don't know if if y'all knew that. Um, Sorry for the sarcasm. Uh, I just got known preaching to youth all week as well. Uh, They they didn't have closed-toed shoes. Now, that's important. Matter of fact, we actually learned in Luke 15 that the only people who would wear shoes were actually people who were rich. Part of, part of a, a family who was very rich. And you would often walk around barefoot, and now their roads would not be these nice paved roads that we have today. You know, we often complain about potholes, but at least they're paved. They would have dirt, and they would often travel by animal. And you know what animals do? Well, they, you know, they let stuff out of their bodies. Okay? You get the point. There was a reason why you would have a water bowl at the beginning of your house so that when someone would walk in, they would wash their feet because your feet stank. But we learn here that Simon did not offer Jesus any water. His feet would have probably been caked with mud, dirt, maybe even feces. And imagine as you're this woman and you get that close to his feet. And you are just weeping. She also does this. This is, this is actually super incredible. She lets her hair down. <gasps> What's the big deal in that? Back in that day, women would wear their hair up in a bun. And you would only let your hair down in the most intimate of settings between a husband and a wife. Matter of fact, the Mishnah, which was the oral law of the Pharisees, said that in one portion of it, it said, if a woman let her hair down in public, it was a, it, you could divorce your wife because of that. This woman is literally coming before Jesus and almost in a very symbolic way. She's, she's just exposing herself. She is absolutely vulnerable. She's not doing this. Well, Jesus, my sin is manageable. I have a couple things that I want you to fix, but like I got everything else under control. 
She is at the end of herself. And she is letting her hair down before Jesus. It's a stunning picture. She's leaning in. She is weeping. She is face to, or face to feet with Jesus. She's just wiping, cleaning. And she anoints his feet with ointment. If there's something going on here, if there is something going on here, this woman must, she must be beginning to grasp this truth. And the truth is this, that her sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. What's amazing is that this story doesn't stop here. You've got to keep going. We're, we're almost looking at this in different stages of the event. So let's look at verse 39. Now watch this. As he's watching this, imagine the room probably gets hushed and Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him, he saw this and he's actually saying to himself, if this man were a prophet. Now why is he saying, why is he questioning the, the, the prophetic role of Jesus? Well, actually, if you have a Bible, you can look up a little bit in chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. What happens there? Here's what happens. There's a widow whose only son, remember a widow does not have a husband, a widow's only son had died. Jesus appears, and what does he do? He raises the only son who was dead. He raises him from death to life. Here's how the people respond to it at the end of the section in verse 16. They say, a great prophet has arisen among us. After all these years, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, 400 years of silence, God has finally sent a prophet. And not just a prophet, this is most likely the prophet. And they're hearing these rumors. But then all of a sudden, a prophet who is supposed to see people the way God sees them, Simon's beginning to question this because he's seeing this unclean prostitute wash Jesus' feet and he's letting her. And he's beginning to question, he's beginning to doubt, and he's saying, if this dude were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is, for she's a sinner. Even our little kids in the street know who she is. You see, actually, Simon is essentially saying, I see her more clearly than Jesus sees her. And isn't that the way we often treat each other? Well, I knew Shane when he was in, in high school. I know what he's really done. And if you really knew him the way, I, I didn't know him in high school. Here's an example. But if you knew him the way I knew him, then you wouldn't let him be your pastor. Amen, right? You know, if I, if, if I knew, you know, Sarah, and like if you knew her the way that I knew her in college, then you would actually say she shouldn't be walking through these doors. We're often doing that. We're often saying, well, I see someone better than God sees them. And we're just like Simon. You see, Simon does not realize this. He does not realize that his sins, they are many and his mercy is more. Jesus responds to this. Look at verse 40 to 43. Jesus, he answers him. Jesus most likely as the prophet, the Holy Spirit is making this known to him. 
He's making Simon's thoughts known to him. And so now Jesus answers him and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. Here's the parable. There's a certain money lender and he had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. 500 denarii would be a year's salary. The other owed 50. 50 would be a day's salary. But notice this. Look at verse 42. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. I want you to see something here. There are two debtors. Jesus does not say this. Only the 500 denarii debtor couldn't pay, but the 50 denarii debtor, it was manageable. No, no, no. Both people could not pay. Do you know what one of the biggest dangers that is just in all the world right now for you and for me is that we would look at ourselves and say, well, I'm merely the 50 denarii debtor, so my sin is manageable. I have my sin under control. I may need a little bit of help. I may need a little bit of church, a little bit of community, a little bit of the gospel, but I really have everything else under control. So the things that I see on my phone whenever my spouse isn't in the room or the things that I say about someone else or the things that I consume, I have that really under control. I just need a little bit of help from Jesus. We often can look either in this room or outside in this community and we can say, well, they're really the 500 denarii debtor. But here's the thing. Even if they are the 500 denarii debtor, you both can't pay. Because the wages of sin is death. I want you to see this. You might be looking at someone's life and they've sinned gruesomely. And you might be looking at yourself and say, I'm not really that bad. Or as Jerry Bridges says, you might have respectable sins. But the problem is you both cannot pay. And that is what Simon is doing. Jesus is telling this parable. Actually, he's like, it's like he's sitting in the seat of Simon. He's saying, here's how you see the world. And matter of fact, your biggest problem is that you're downplaying your sin. And when you do that, you're acting like you're not really in need of grace. Steve Jobs, whenever he was really sick, he was told by a doctor that he needed certain treatment. And he didn't want to take this standard way of treatment. He wanted to go this different route to see if it would work. And so he tried this different route. And the longer it went on, the worse his illness and the worse his sickness got. And then he realized, maybe this way is not working, so I need to try this other way. So when he came back to the doctor and he said, can we try this other treatment? Do you want to know what the doctor said? It's too late. Ethos Pres, I want you to hear this. The worst thing you can do is ignore your sin. The worst thing you can do about your life is to look at your sin and say, it's manageable. Because at some point, if it's always manageable, and if you always have it under control, at some point, it'll be too late. Jesus asked this question at the very end of the parable. After they have their debts canceled. Jesus says, now which of them will love him more? Uh, I love Simon's answer to this. Look at this. This is actually, I, th- I think it's kind of funny actually. The one, I suppose. What? what do you mean you suppose? Are you kidding me? Like, of course it's the 500 denarii debtor. I suppose. Of course it's that person. 
Because here's the thing, when you understand the magnitude of forgiveness, the magnitude of grace, you will respond in praise and love and thanksgiving because nothing is like that. Nothing is like forgiveness. See, actually, the first duty of the Christian, it's a bold statement, the first duty of the Christian is to embrace God's grace. Did y'all hear that? The first duty of the Christian is to embrace God's grace. It's not to get your life in order and then come to Jesus. It's not to fix yourself up or make sure you do good enough deeds and then you can embrace the grace. It is seeing the muck and the mire of your life and just everything that is messed up about you and saying, I believe that Jesus is my Savior and I'm going to embrace that grace. Do you know what's amazing about that? Here's what this parable is teaching us. I love what one author, a guy named Heath Lambert, says. When you believe the forgiveness that God gives you, when you believe that forgiving grace, you will grow in the transforming grace. There's a dynamic that happens here. Jesus is saying, when the, when the, debtor, when the 500 denarii debtor understands how much they've been forgiven, they will respond in loving more. Do you see how you grow in the Christian life, how you grow in what we call sanctification or holiness? You grow, you you live more like Jesus the more you've understood how much you've been forgiven. That's amazing. Jesus is teaching in this parable that when you understand that your sins, they are many, his mercy is more, that you will love him more. Jesus... Now watch this. Look at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman. That's awesome. Watch this. Jesus is reclining at table. Okay, I'm not going to recline. That'd be really weird. Jesus is reclining at table. He's got his elbow down. He's eating with the other hand. His feet are going out from behind him. Here's this woman. She's crying and weeping, washing his feet. Now watch this. He's been talking with Simon, but now he is turning toward the woman. That's actually really incredible. Because people who are in the highest authority often do not take time to notice the people who are most lowly. Jesus is not someone like this. He is not someone who is so high in authority where he says, oh, Callie needs some grace. There you go. John needs some grace. Let me throw it long. But I really don't have time to like really face them and see them and look at them and pour into them personally. Jesus is not like that. He faces you with all of your struggles, with all of your sin, with all the things that you've done and with all the things that have happened to you. You know what's really cool? Let me nerd out with you for a second. Do you know in Hebrew, the same word for God's presence is also the same word for his face? When God is saying, I am with you, I am Emmanuel, he is saying, my face is towards you. Jesus faces her. I love this next question. Look at it. Do you see this woman? (laughs) Jesus, do we see this woman? She's the only thing that we see right now. 
This is literally the most awkward moment that we could possibly imagine. The last person who we thought would ever walk in this room, she's breaking so many rules. Do we see her? This is weird. This is the only thing we see right now. Like, this should not be happening. We will tell this story for so many days and weeks and years after this. Do we see her? Here's the thing. They see a project. They see a scientific experiment that as long as they just tweak it, they'll get it right. They, see, they just see just problems where as long as they put enough rules on this person, then it'll make that person right. They don't see her. And that's often, once again, the way we look at each other. We look at each other and we say, well, that person just really needs to get their life together. And we often just think about fixing their problem rather than pouring into them. I tell my college students, whenever you see someone who's really struggling with drunkenness, yeah, we, we, we must get to that. But that's merely a symptom. Are you going to slow down and pour into them? Because maybe if you hear what's going on in their life, you might find out the reason why they're running to drunkenness. Jesus says, do you see this woman? Now watch this contrast. Jesus says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Those feet would have stank. You gave me no water for my feet. But what's she been doing? She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Another cultural custom that would have been really rude for, for Jesus not to receive this. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, Jesus is saying once again, that Simon, you clearly don't understand this, that your sins, though they are many, and my mercy is more. But she does. Now watch this. This is, this is the climax. Here it goes. You, you can't make this up, y'all. You cannot make this up. Jesus then says this, verse 47, Therefore I tell you. Now remember, one of the big things going on behind the scenes here is the question of, is Jesus a prophet? And one of the things that the prophets would do in the Old Testament is whenever they would speak, what would they begin their speeches with? Thus says the Lord. But there is no thus says the Lord here. Why? Because he is the Lord. He is saying, therefore, I, in my sovereign authority, there is no higher position that anyone could ever be in. I am that person who sits on that throne. I tell you. And watch what he's going to tell them. Her sins, look at it, her sins which are small, right? That's what it says, right? Her sins which are not that bad, which are manageable. Her sins which are many. Look, when that word says many, it means many. Her sins which are many. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you go outside and you look up in the sky, there's going to be this really bright, burning ball in the sky. 
Have y'all seen that before? Um, yeah, it's the sun. It's huge. That thing's like 93 million miles away, and it is literally almost the most obvious thing to our five senses that if that thing were gone, we would not exist. That, like, you cannot ignore that. It is so massive. It is so hot. It is the thing that you feel, and especially in the summer, it will burn you like it's burned me many times already this summer. And here's the thing. That's your sin. Your sin is massive. Your sin is just burning with depravity. And it is not just something you do. It is in the very core of who you are that you naturally live this out. And here's the thing. That is so obvious before the sight of God. And though we try all these different things to to cover it up and mask it and put band-aids over it, it's there and you cannot ignore it. Jesus is saying, your sins, they are many. They are even if you think you're merely the, five, the 50 denarii debtor, it is still many. But he doesn't stop there. Her sins, which are many, she might be the 500 denarii debtor, but they are forgiven. Come on now. Come on now. I mean, they're forgiven. Look at this. This is like, it's amazing. Let's take that same example. The sun. Huge. Let me ask you a question. Have we ever measured outer space? Have we ever measured outer space? God's grace is bigger than outer space. Take that as a rhyme or whatever you want. You cannot measure God's grace. Matter of fact, I'm taking this this illustration from a verse in Romans 5.20 where it says, where sin increased, grace super increased. Now, guys, though, you're, though our sins are many, though we've done so many things in our past and things have, we've affected so many people and people have affected us, there's just so much mess there. But God's mercy and His grace is more. And when you come to Jesus, and only when you come to Jesus, they are forgiven. Notice Jesus, He doesn't say this. Go back and fix your past, and then they'll be forgiven. Right? Jesus does not say this. Go back and find everyone who you've sinned against and make amends with them, and then you can be forgiven. He doesn't even say this. Some of your sins can be forgiven, but you really got to make sure that you go on a long enough streak without sinning this sin again. Then you can be forgiven. He doesn't say that. He says, right now in this moment, your sins are gone from your record. They're no longer held against you. We often doubt this. In the Iraq War, the bloodiest battle in the Iraq War was called the Battle of Fallujah. And in this memoir by a guy named Sergeant Bellavia called House to House, Sergeant Bellavia tells this story when he's been fighting in the Iraq War for a couple years now and He's getting ready to go out into the, what will eventually be the bloodiest part. And the chaplain comes up to him and says, Sergeant Bellavia, can I pray for you? And in that moment, he says that what he began to think about was, I don't think God would accept me if he knew all the things that I've done, the people I've killed, the atrocities that I've seen. I don't think, I don't think he'll embrace me. But doesn't this totally overturn that? 
Do you know what's really cool? You can't make this up. I was preaching the same text uh, this past week uh, in Edmond. And I told that same illustration. Matter of fact, what's so funny, that illustration came to my mind at the last second right before the sermon. I was like, oh, that'll be good. Let's put it in there. I got a text later that day. And the pastor of that church, he forwarded me a text from another man. And he said this. I fought in the battle of Fallujah. And those are my exact thoughts that I've had for so many years. And I thought there was no way, and I've struggled so much with that shame and that regret and that guilt. And I have always questioned God's grace. And this text helped me so much. This is the gospel. This is Jesus Christ. And you can't make this up. Jesus, I, we can't even get to this. And this is just amazing. You just keep going on this for so long. Jesus says, look, he who is forgiven little loves little. You could speak for so long on that. Now watch this, verse 48. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Man, don't we need to hear about... We don't just need to hear about forgiveness once. We need to hear a lot. Because we often forget it. Verse 50, he says to her again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, the big illustration, or the big, the big theme here is this. Our sins, they are many. But His mercy, His mercy is more. There's a story of a missionary who was a nurse, and they were going to go treat people who uh, were inflicted with HIV and AIDS. And they were going to draw a lot of blood and give a lot of medicine. And you know, one of the things where they would no doubt warn them were, look, if you're going to draw their blood, you can't let their blood get in contact with yours. And so they still went, knowing that the risk was worth it. And they went, and everything was fine for the first couple of days. But then, inevitably, it did happen. They accidentally got someone's blood in contact with theirs, and that was it. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to draw near to such unclean people? It absolutely was worth it because they brought the gospel to them that cleanses way deeper than what anything physically can do. And that's the same thing Jesus did, but way bigger. Because Jesus being the clean one, when he comes down and comes in contact with the unclean, he doesn't become unclean, he cleanses. And Jesus came down and he would go to that cross and he would be treated as if he was the ultimate unclean one and he was pierced for your sins. And he took the wrath of God upon himself so that you might always have his grace. Jesus died so that we might be able to say our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. You have no other response here but this. Come to Jesus. Come to Him. Stop trying to clean yourself up. Stop trying to be enough. Come to Him. And He will embrace you and He will transform you. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would very graciously, mercifully, not let us forget. Because we so often suffer from gospel amnesia. And we need to remember the, the gospel more and more. So keep telling us. Keep proclaiming to us. Keep showing us more of, 
of who you are and what you're doing. And may this church, as we sang earlier, that as we know your mercy, may we show your mercy. So help them, help Ethos to embrace the grace and bring in great sinners who would also embrace the grace. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.